The following podcast is brought to you by Pathways Church. For more information, visit www.pathwayschurch.us. Thanks for joining us for this message from our weekend service. Every week we're hearing stories about how God is moving in people's lives. So if you have a story to share, email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. We'd love to hear from you about how God is working in your life. Well, good morning. Stage looks amazing, doesn't it? Yeah. Caden and his team of volunteers have spent uh, hundreds of hours making this thing look like outside. So if you like snow, congratulations. You got a stage just like it. Uh, excited to be kicking off uh, the brand new Christmas series, Behold Him. And I want to start off by just asking a quick question. How many of you guys are familiar with a guy named Samuel Clemens, otherwise known as Mark Twain? Mark Twain in 1909 is quoted as saying this. He was talking he said, it came in, I came in with Haley's Comet in 1835. That's when he was born. He says, it's coming again next year, 1910, and I expect to go out with it. It will be the greatest disappointment of my life if I don't go out with Haley's Comet. The Almighty has said, no doubt. Now here are these two unaccountable freaks. They came in together. They must go out together. Well, guess what happened? Haley's Comet showed up the next year, 1910. He had a heart attack the next day when it showed up. Uh, another question. Does anybody remember this show? Shout it out if you know it. Who? Ah, very good. So, Jessen, some of you guys are like, I don't even know. That's like stuff my grandpa watched. I grew up with the Jetsons. The Jetsons came out in 1962. The setting for the Jetsons was supposed to be 2062. Now, uh, if you watch the Jetsons, those of you that are old timers like me, uh, they had a, a robot that cleaned. Her name was, and we have Roomba, right? Jetsons had watches where they could actually talk to people. We now have these. They had video telephones where they could talk to each other. We have Zoom and Skype. Technology has kind of trended with this. I know it was set in 2062. Uh, we've actually got that technology today. So Mark Twain predicted his death one year before it happened. The Jetsons predicted probably about 60 years into the future on a lot of technology that we have. As we launch into this Christmas series, I'm going to talk about a prediction that happened 700 years before Jesus was born. There's an Old Testament prophet, his name was Micah, and he makes this prophecy. He spells out the zip code Jesus is going to be born in, and we sing it every year when we sing, oh, little town of, yeah. Micah says that Bethlehem is where Jesus is going to be born. This infant king, 700 years before it happens. Then there's another prophet, Isaiah, who also gets in on the action, and he makes a prediction about who this character, this Jesus was going to be. And he uses some words that we emboss on Christmas cards that we sing about, that we become familiar with each year. And you find it in Isaiah 9, verse 6. This is where he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Each week for this series, we're going to be exploring what it means really for you and I to behold him. Like not just 
glance at him, but to actually behold him, to see him as he really is. And hopefully, maybe during this Christmas season, the Lord can revive inside of us, despite how weary we may be, how tired or stressed out or fearful we may be. These characteristics that Isaiah describes that give us a picture of his divine nature, that he, this morning, we would start off looking at him being a wonderful counselor. You think about what counselors do for us. They, they, they listen, they give us advice, they give us direction. And how many of you guys have some gaps, some margin in your life where you're like, I could use some direction, could use a little bit of wisdom, could use some leading in my life. Well, if that's you, I have good news for you today. You're going to learn about how Jesus came, embodied what it means to be a wonderful counselor. And my prayer is that it would move from just a, a slogan or a concept or a holiday trinket, but that it would become the lens by which we experience this entire holiday season. Because just like we talked about the call to gratitude and how that could change us. I believe that as we behold him together, that it can leave a mark for good on our souls as we navigate the next few weeks. And, and to be honest with you, I need that. I don't wanna just survive another Christmas. I actually wanna experience him, to know him more, that I would relish what this opportunity brings us as we go into the Christmas holiday season this year. And as we visit this Christmas story each week, we're also going to be uh, visiting familiar characters in the story. We're going to look at who the characters were and how they encountered these characteristics that Isaiah lays out for us. That this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace, how did Mother Mary experience that? How did Joseph experience that? How did the angels experience that? And today we're going to be starting our journey together by looking at the Magi. The Magi, uh, if you are, aren't aware of this, they're typically uh, a part of your nativity set. You're like, who are these three dudes hanging out by the manger? I don't know. They're Magi. Now, <laughs> what the Bible tells us is uh, they were there, not at his birth, actually. But the Bible also does not tell us there were three of them. It says there were three gifts given. And the Bible does not tell us that they came from the Orient, despite the way the song is sung. But they're not made-up characters. So they didn't just put them in there to give you some feng shui to your nativity set. The term magi actually dates back hundreds of years before this moment in time where they take center stage. And so before we look at the text, uh, Matthew 2, that's going to tell us this Christmas story about the birth of Jesus, I want to give you uh, a little bit of history on who the magi were, who these mysterious people were. Magi, they're also called wise men, um, it was actually like a job category. Um, historians, theologians say they were a subclass of, of priests uh, with the Babylonians, the Persians, the Medes. And if you trace this group, you see that many of them were trained in a number of disciplines. They're a lot of times grouped and associated with uh, magicians, enchanters, astronomers, or astrologers. And magi, um, this group of people were actually um, 
famous for studying the sky and believing that the stars often uh, conveyed what the gods were doing in the earth, or it would give them a glimpse of what the gods' wishes were in the earth. And these magi, uh, you can trace them all the way back to like Daniel. If you remember Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were actually considered to be magi or wise men. Daniel 2 paints this crazy story where uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. It's a disturbing dream. He wakes up and he wants to figure out what does this dream mean for me. So what he does is he calls the wise men, he calls the magi to him and says, hey, I want you guys to tell me what the dream means. And they're like, okay, we can do that. King, tell us what the dream is. And the king says, nope, I want you to tell me what I dreamt and then interpret it as well. And the wise men are like, nobody on this planet could do that. So please just tell us the dream. And the king gets upset and he says, you're stalling. And if you don't tell me my dream and the interpretation, I'm gonna have all the wise men killed. So this is where we pick it up. This is what happens in Daniel 2, verse 12. Because they were stalling, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death because again, they were wise men. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact and said, why are you coming to kill me, bro? Kind of, that's what he said. He spoke to him with tact and said, tell me what's going on. And Arioch says, hey, the king had a dream. They could not interpret it. They wouldn't tell him the dream, so I've been ordered to kill you. Daniel goes to the king, says, hey, hey, time out. Can I get a pause? Can I, uh, can I uh, go pray about this and see if God will tell me? And then I'll share that with you. Daniel goes to his friends. They pray. He gets the interpretation of the dream. He goes to the king, tells the king the dream. And he's spot on in telling the king exactly what he had dreamt. So the king has this response where he is just blown away. He's like, your God is the true God. And so he promotes Daniel to be the, the, the chief of all the magi, the chief of all the wise men. He is now going to be the one who's going to, to mentor and disciple. And he's also gonna be an advisor to the king and he runs things. And the thing with Daniel is this, Daniel's familiar with those prophecies we referenced a minute ago in Isaiah that talks about the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. He knows this prophecy about a coming king. And he's also probably familiar with Micah that this king was gonna be born in Bethlehem. So Daniel now being in charge of all the wise men, it's very likely that he would have trained and discipled the rest of the wise men about this prophecy. Fast forward a few hundred years. You continue to see that magi are counselors to the king. They're a group that, that counsel the king on matters like national defense and war and the economy and how to make things right. And so we're gonna pick up now in Matthew, if you have a device or a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter two, we're gonna read what happens with these magi. Verse one says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was what? Disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Matthew 2 sets us up immediately into the clash 
of two kingdoms. In this corner, we have Herod, who is a psychotic, paranoid man, kills his kids because he thinks they're trying to take over his throne. He clings to his title as king of the Jews, even though he wasn't Jewish. He clings to his leadership, his money, his kingdom, his throne, when he hears of this coming king. And in this corner, we have Jesus, the prophesied Messiah, who is coming with a new kingdom, one throne to rule over every throne that will ever exist for all eternity. But Herod's response is to be disturbed. And then it makes me think, well, I wonder if Linus from Charlie Brown in the Christmas story is a dirty liar when he says, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy for all the people. He's quoting from Luke chapter 2. And what Luke says is it's good news for all people, yet we hear how Herod responds and many in Jerusalem. It's not good news. They're disturbed. He's upset. Why is he upset? Probably because he feels like, I got a good thing going. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Leave me alone. I don't want to be threatened. But what it raises is this tension because sometimes good news isn't good news on the surface or it doesn't seem like good news. Like this week, I, I, I got some good news. I was told I had an abscess and I needed to have a root canal. Yes! Now, on the surface, that doesn't seem like good news. But when you have jaw pain and a headache for four or five days and you're not sure why, and you go and you find out, actually, this is what's going on. Happy Thanksgiving, Gary. Uh, you find out that what doesn't seem like good news is actually good news because they can do something about it and it can bring some relief. But as it relates to this story, you know why the coming of Jesus is not good news for Herod and sometimes it's not good news for you and I? Because if I'm honest, I kind of like to do my own thing and sometimes I feel like uh, if it ain't broke, I really don't need your help, God. It's not good news for myself, for my selfishness that I have to wrestle with, for my sinful nature, for my desire to try to control everything around me. The fact that there's this Jesus that actually wants to sit on the throne and, and lead my life, well, that sometimes conflicts with what I want because I don't want anything to stand in the way of me getting what I want when I want it. So good news for all people isn't necessarily good news to some people. Good news for all people isn't necessarily good news for some people. It was not good news for Herod. What that means is it, it's intended to be good news, but sometimes if it conflicts with the, the kingdom we are trying to build, the life we're trying to design for ourselves on our own, void of God's leading and intervention, then it may indicate that there's a throne that I'm trying to sit on, that Jesus is coming for. And as I pursue him and say, I want to follow him, he will continue to come until he reigns and sits on the throne of my heart. And so it begs a question this morning. I'd like you to question yourself about, where am I on this newborn king taking over my throne? When you think about Lordship is what we call it in church language. This notion that Jesus 
has something that he wants to do in changing us, or he may be calling us to something that causes us to die to ourselves, to lay our lives down, to decrease so that he can increase. That conflicts with what we hear from our culture all the time, or it conflicts certainly with my selfish nature and my own agenda. Because I think I'm better at being God than God is. And if that weren't true, I'd probably be convinced to my toes to really pursue him and adopt his ways first and foremost instead of me trying to run my life my ways to get where I want to be. Kind of like the root canal, this good news, it's actually good news for every human heart, but it, it brings attention and a cost to us who say we're Jesus followers. And it's something for us to visit as we enter this holiday season, that this good news for human hearts to free us from our selfishness, to free us from our sin, to allow his heart to be formed in us, that is what Jesus came to inaugurate. And when you see certain kings, how they respond to news of this kingdom or um, a revelation of God showing up, like in the story with Daniel, Daniel interprets the dream. He says, this isn't just because uh, I'm cool. This is because God has shown me this. And I'm gonna tell you this. The king hears this interpretation and he is blown away. And he says, surely your God is the true God. That's how that king responds. Or you flip to another uh, story, uh, Jonah, where Jonah is preaching. He preaches to the king of Nineveh. The king of Nineveh, is his heart is just wrecked when he hears what Jonah has to say. And you know what he does? He doesn't get disturbed. He doesn't get resistant. He actually takes his crown off. He humbles himself to the king. But we don't see this in Herod. And the question is, is, is Jesus going to see our response this holiday season to humble ourselves? Because Herod did not embrace the good news. He resisted it. He actually sought to fight against it and tried to fight against what God had destined to do before time began. But as we'll see, his arms are too short to box with God. So let's continue the story. Verse 4. When he had called together all the people, that's Herod. When Herod had called together all the people, who did he call? Chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Check this out. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. Prophet Micah we talked about. Prophet Micah said, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, hey, go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And they had heard the king. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. It's interesting to me that the Magi were these curious seekers, right? They show up in Jerusalem with their entourage. The Bible, again, doesn't tell us how many there were, but historians say they probably traveled with a big group, that it was probably more than one, 
and they probably had, because of their wealth, they probably had servants and everybody else that made up their entourage. These magi had studied the ancient text. They had watched the night sky. They had seen a star. They had heard the prophecies, and it led them to Jerusalem. Now, Scripture simply says, they came from the east, and it's really debated where they actually came from, but some historians say they came from Babylon, and they made their way 600 miles, 700 miles, all the way to Jerusalem. And what does Herod do when he hears this news? Well, besides, he kind of poops his pants. He calls all the scribes, the religious leaders, and says, y'all come in here in this room. I want you to tell me... Uh, the brightest and best of his cabinet, he asked them, where's this baby going to be born? And what do they do? They quote the prophet Micah, right? Micah had said this 700 years ago, little town of Bethlehem. He said, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. These guys are trained and they know this. But guess how far Bethlehem is away from Jerusalem? Five miles, y'all. The very people that should have been looking with earnest expectation didn't even notice a star in the sky. And the Magi show up and say, where's this king that's born to be king of the Jews? They, go, they should have been thinking, oh, um, this is what we've been looking for. And they answer him, oh, yeah, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem, Herod. Yet they don't go five miles to go check it out. Knowing and seeking aren't the same thing. Knowing and seeking aren't the same thing. This is a challenging concept for us to wrestle with this holiday season because we're familiar with the Christmas story. We know the songs. You can even apply this to coming to church. You can come in here and know when to sit, when to stand, when to clap. But knowing and actually coming with a heart to say, I want to seek, I want to experience, I want to know you, I want to grow. Those are very different things. And what we see is Herod calling the leaders, the religious leaders, the scribes, and saying, do you know where he's going to be born? Yep, he's going to be born there, but they are not seeking. They're not even going to go five miles to see what all the fuss is about. There's a danger in familiarity that can rob us from beholding him this Christmas. And I don't want that to happen for you. I don't want that to happen for me. We can experience this king and do more than just survive, but we can grow in beholding him. See, the star may have been seen by all, but it was only followed by a few. And all the while, Jesus is closer than they think. And Jesus is closer than you might think this morning. Maybe you've been beat down by life. Maybe you're going through some circumstances that are hard and you feel like he's a million miles away. I want to remind you that he's actually just a breath away. It just might mean you have to look up to see him and ask him to give you eyes to see. So this Christmas don't bury your head in the stand. Don't bury your head in the stand, the Christmas tree stand consumed by presents. Don't bury your, your tree, your, your head in the, in, the, in the deer stand 
Don't bury your head in the political stand and the news stand of what's going on in our world. Don't get so wrapped up that you'll be distracted from seeing this light that shines bright leading us to the heart of Jesus. An opportunity to see and experience what everybody else was gonna miss out on because these guys were seekers. So what will you do with this Christmas season? What will you do with this Christmas season? They had to see the star before they could be led to worship. If there was no star, they would never have made it to the feet of Jesus. And sometimes I think our worship can be crippled by our perspective because all we see is our life, our problems, our circumstances, and we miss out on the majesty of who our God is that can bring joy and call us to worship. So we have to be careful. We've got to be careful with where our heart and minds want to pull us this holiday season. They didn't accidentally drift towards worship and adoration to this newborn king. They had to intentionally set out to follow. They didn't stumble hundreds of miles to have their hearts overwhelmed with joy at the sight of this king. And it inspires me and hopefully kind of makes you, it inspires you a little bit to go, I want to be somebody who pursues. I don't want to be just somebody who knows the stuff, but I want to be somebody who will seek. And so the story continues to where they actually get to meet Jesus. Verse 11, we'll pick up. So the Magi, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They're so intentional, not only in their seeking, but they're so intentional also in their worship. They didn't give Jesus just some scraps that they found along the way. This wasn't a white elephant gift type of party. It was a costly, significant offering that they made. And we could probably spend the whole weekend talking about some of the symbolism we might find in these gifts that you see through history. Like when kings were greeted, often they were greeted with gifts of gold to signify their deal, their deity and their royalty. So these magi offer gold to say, you are truly a king among all kings. They offer frankincense. Perhaps the frankincense gives us a, a glimpse into Jesus being a priest, this incense, this offering that was gonna be given on behalf of all mankind. As Hebrew says, he's our great high priest that allows us to be able to draw near because of what he is going to do. Or maybe the gift of myrrh gives us a little nod to the future of what he's gonna endure in the cross because it's a burial spice. So it's like they give us gifts that give us a picture of his entire journey, but myrrh is also used in a lot of healing ceremonies in those uh, uh, historical ancient days. So we see Jesus as priest, we see Jesus as healer, we see Jesus as king. And that's who they worshiped. And perhaps we can worship when we have that picture of who our Jesus is. So we talk about being in a growing relationship with Jesus and it's this process of being uh, directed and led 
and seeking and growing how to best navigate our life with him at the helm. And Isaiah, he wants us to know he's the wonderful counselor, that this miracle birth is so that you can experience this wonderful counselor. So you look at the history, magi were counselors to the king, but the star led the magi to the king who would be the wonderful counselor. Led to the king who was the wonderful counselor. So you and I, this season, we can go to the king and we could receive his counsel, his wisdom, everything that he wants to to give and pour into our lives. But what does this wonderful thing mean? Because that's a word that we use, right? That's pretty common. We say, man, that turkey was wonderful. That movie was wonderful, or it's the most wonderful time, right? We use wonderful, but it loses some of the teeth until you go back and go, what does that word really mean? The Hebrew word for wonderful doesn't just mean pretty good. He's a pretty good counselor. He's pretty decent. I put him in the top five. Actually, wonderful means this in the Hebrew. It means to be marvelous, to be surpassing, to be extraordinary, that this is who the Jesus that you serve, that you love, this is who he is. He surpasses everything. He's extraordinary. He's marvelous. To be wonderful means to be full of wonder. Because he's not just good at providing some counsel and some advice, but his counsel and his direction is mind-blowing. It's higher than your thoughts, higher than your ways. I heard somebody say that the problem with life is that it's daily. Ain't it true? But for him, for this marvelous, extraordinary Jesus who lives outside of time, this Jesus who is the beginning and the end simultaneously, this Jesus who waits in your tomorrow and wants to meet you today to give you the counsel that you need to get to and through tomorrow. This is who you have the opportunity to engage and interface with and ultimately worship and acknowledge him as king. Paul, when he describes the kind of counsel that he gives, he uses these words. He says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's verse three. In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Are there some things you wish you knew? Is there some wisdom that you need to glean? Is there some knowledge and some insights that you're just lacking when it comes to how to handle your life or your finances or yourself? Sometimes it's so hard to even figure out why do I feel and act and do these things? And maybe this wonderful counselor wants to speak into that for you today. So these magi led by a star to the king worship. And then they receive some wonderful counsel via a dream saying, don't go back to Herod. God is so intimately interested in the details of our lives. 
and the details of the Magi's life, that he says, hey, go back a different way. The Magi could have been like, that's dumb. <laughs> I'm going to take the shortcut. But, but God had something else in mind, and so they listened. And because of that, Herod has no clue where the baby is. And so he goes and obviously goes crazy. And he murders everybody uh, that is two and under that are males. But Jesus is spared because the Magi listened to wonderful counsel. Joseph is heard. He hears wonderful counsel and moves the family. Another name that we hear a lot around Christmas time is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us, right? But you know what Jesus' final words are? He's Emmanuel at his birth. He's the God putting on flesh, coming to be with us. And Jesus' final words in Matthew 28, he says, I'll be with you to the ends of the age. I'm with you at the beginning and I'll be with you every step of the way. And so maybe as you came in here today, maybe you're like, hey, I just came in here because somebody made me. I was in town visiting family. Maybe you've never heard the Christmas story this way as this invitation for you to actually encounter the heart of heaven through the embodiment of Jesus as the King of Kings. I wanna invite you to just close your eyes, bow your heads for just a moment. Because we have a decision that we have to all wrestle with for us to know and experience and encounter this wonderful counselor, it begins with us acknowledging him as king and saying, I, I will follow you. I'll actually let you call the shots. I'll let you be the leader of my life. And so if you're in here today or you're watching online and you, you've never entered this Christmas season with that kind of heart and mind to say, I wanna let you be in charge. I want to make you my king, my Lord. I want to invite you to just raise your hands with me. Nobody looking around. I'm just going to pray with a couple of people. If you just want to raise your hand, if you want to make that prayer, you want to say that prayer today and, and give surrendering your life to him, asking for his leadership and direction, his wisdom, his counsel into your life. then I'm gonna invite you to just simply pray these words as you sit quietly in your seats. You can just say, dear God, I am here and you are closer than I think. Thank you for coming and giving your life so that I could be forgiven, so that I could experience your life. And I'm asking you to be the leader, the Lord of my life. That I will follow your directions for my future. I surrender all to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.